When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to an episode of Private Parts on your Friday. Alex and Jamie here. That's right. Get Hello. ready. Get ready to have your minds blown. By who? By me. By to me. have your mind no, no, by me. You. By me. Do you, do you know why I would like to um, be in your body for a day? Why? So you could walk up the stairs without it hurting? No. What? Why? Because my butt hurts. <laughs> Does my... it? No. I meant like I meant more like your old knees, not your weird bum. Hole. I thought you'd about my record. <laughs> you just you just let out a secret when you walk up the stairs. Your butthole hurts. <laughs> no, it doesn't. What are you talking about? <laughs> Jamie Lang and his creaky butthole. My butt doesn't hurt. What are you talking about? <laughs> you'd be terrible in a western. You'd just be able to be, hear your. I'd be great in a western because I'd no, because you'd, you'd give away your position. You'd have you'd have the you'd have the John Wayne um, walk, but your your creaky butthole would give away your position all the time. I, I, I told you the time that I went to the doctors when my butt hurt, <laughs> and the doctor lubed up their finger and put it up my butt and went, "Yep, you got piles." And I went, "What the fuck is that?" Yeah, you showed me your piles in Ibiza. You pulled your pants down and like reared, <laughs> like reversed back into me. It was fucking horrible. Like a, like a little vineyard. We're playing a game of it with my piles. You're it. Catch them. Oh, there's been some quite disgusting away trips. Actually. There there's, hasn't. There's been no disgusting away trips. You've before. done a lot of weird things. Anyway, sorry. We digress. We have a very interesting podcast coming up. We've got a great podcast today. We've got Merlin Sheldrake on. Talking about all things mushrooms. We have Merlin Sheldrake on the podcast. He is the author of A Tangled Life, a, a world-renowned bestseller. He is a biologist. or um, he, he basically explains how fungi make our worlds, change our minds, and shape our futures. Um, he is... Is that, your, is that your own excerpt? Or did, you just, not... did you read that straight from... Uh, listen, it says here he, you know, he was University of Cambridge... He was always obsessed with it as well, which I find so interesting. He was always, always obsessed with it. And what is great about um, Merlin is that he explains something which is quite complicated to most people in a kind of a relatable way. Fungi mm. is one of the uh, most amazing things on this planet, and we underestimate its, its value, its power, um, its reach, its depth, everything. 
it's it's within us it's among us it does everything and it's incredible what it does have you have you taken mushrooms today? i haven't taken any mushrooms no you're sounding a little bit mushy i have not taken any uh, mushy what yeah like you're getting mushy slushy. you're getting mushy about mushrooms oh my god listen before we say anything else let's kick off the podcast ladies and gentlemen here we go welcome to your friday episode with merlin sheldrake on the podcast enjoy Merlin, by the way, I think we tried to organize this podcast before, but something happened. And since the moment that I realized you were coming on the podcast, I've been over the moon excited. And to the point where we've actually, we, we've got, Alex, you brought your book. I've, I've got the hardback. He's actually. got the hardback my, my, my grandma bought it for me because <laughs> uh, she realized how much I was into mushrooms. And I think she knew of your father uh, I, I, I can't actually remember what your dad did, but he was also quite a famous scientist, right? Yeah, he's a, he's a biologist. He's a biologist. Yeah. And then she discovered you and your work and gave me the book for, this was about a year ago. And I'm only halfway through it, which I hate to admit, but it's been fascinating. And actually, as guests go, I'm actually the most excited to come on. Can I, can I ask a question? So how does your grandmother know that you're into mushrooms? Because I've spoken about it, not just like psilocybin, like the whole sort of culture of mushrooms. Okay. Um, because okay. I feel like when people talk about mushrooms at the minute, everyone immediately goes, oh, they're talking about psychedelics and psilocybin. But from what I've read in the book, that's kind of a small bit of it almost. And there's this huge mushroom world that you're kind of uncovering and, and telling the world about. It's, uh, it's so fascinating. Well, before we start speaking over, because we have so many questions, perhaps you can explain to our listeners who don't know who you are, who you are, what you do, what you're about, everything. Everything. Is that so yeah? And we got ages, don't worry. We've got a whole day. So you <laughs> so you just tell it yeah, give us everything. Um so I'm a biologist and I study fungi, and fungi are a kingdom of life. And uh, that means that there's a broad and busier category as animals or plants. So there's lots of ways to be a fungus. And um and we know very little about the fungal world, so there's a lot to think about. Uh, and there's a lot of open questions uh, and there's a lot of excitement um, and when we talk and think and uh, inquire about fungi. Um, but one of the important things to mention probably early on is that when we think of fungi, we normally think of mushrooms. Uh, but mushrooms are just the reproductive structures of fungi, the place where they produce spores. But the most fungi live most of their lives as branching, fusing networks of tubular cells, which are uh, called mycelium. Uh, and so fungal networks uh, in the form of mycelium are a, a really important idea and one I think that we'll keep coming back to today. So, okay, Hans, so let's explain this more. So, um, firstly, how did you even become, how did you find yourself being interested in fungi and everything? Because that's, I suppose, out of all areas, you know, I, I suppose these things start when you're younger, right? When you become, and typically when we're younger, we're interested in trains or becoming policemen or, I don't know, becoming a stuntman. You're interested in fungi. <laughs> Where does that come from? Well, um, I also quite like trains. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I'm just not counting out everything else. <laughs> yeah, you only like fungi. <laughs> um, when I was little. Uh, yeah, um, well, my father's a biologist, so he would encourage me and my brother to take an interest in the living world. And, um, and so I remember one of the things that got me interested in fungi, at least asking questions about the sub-visible realms of all the, you know, all the organisms that we can't see, but which are responsible for so much. I uh, was like taking out buckets of compost to the compost heap in the garden. And then later, a few months later, helping shuffle the um, new soil that had been made from the decomposition of this kitchen waste 
onto the flower beds mm. um, and being puzzled by this transformation. You know, how does one thing change into something else? Mm. Um, this thought, uh, whenever I stop to think about it, still um, fills me with wonder today, even though I spent a lot more time thinking about it today than I had done when I was a child. Um, and it was explained to me that fungi are some of these organisms that are responsible for this kind of transformation. And they have astonishing powers of transformation. They are, uh, we might say, metabolically ingenious. And um, indeed, we live and breathe in the space that their decomposition lives behind. So this was one of the kinds of lines of, of, of puzzlement that led me into thinking about fungi. And another was symbiosis. I studied, as I got older and my biological studies progressed, I studied the relationships between plants and their fungal partners. And it became clear that um, I'd, I'd always thought of plants as just, you know, there's one there, mm. and plants in a pot. You know, just a, one organism sitting by itself, maybe around some other ones, it's all auton autonomous individuals, but this turned out not to be the case. And plants are bustling ecosystems, and indeed we are um, filled with a smaller organisms without which their lives and behaviors would be impossible. And so um, I became very interested in the ways that fungi form relationships and enter into relationships with other organisms, and indeed have formed relationships that have shaped the entire history of life uh, and the whole um, the way that the biosphere has, has evolved over hundreds of millions of years. So this opened up all sorts of other questions and curiosities for me. Yeah, I mean, this is opening up so many for me. So how, in, so how intelligent is fungi? It's like the, the intelligence of fungi, we have no idea, as you said at the beginning, about how smart they all are and how it entwines between everything in our life. You know, I, I feel completely separate to that plant, to that mushroom, to whatever it is, but actually we're all connected in some interesting way and how does that even my brain can't get itself around that it's tricky isn't it i mean we're told so much by, by we're told by um the legal and um and financial and societal and political systems in mm. we live that we are individuals responsible mm. for our own actions this is what i mean right we yeah mean i mean to some degree it'd be useful you know, it's useful to have a concept of an individual when you're trying to fill out a tax return or get a passport <laughs> yeah and there are obviously there are some things that this concept it does work for us um, but when that narrative becomes the main narrative that we're told about the way that we relate to the world around us, then we start to see ourselves as separate and disconnected, not just from uh, organisms like plants, mm. but from other humans and other members of our family and, um, and even parts of ourselves. So that disconnection could lead to all sorts of trouble. And I think it's actually responsible for many of the, um, the big troubles that we face today as cultures and societies and nations as, as a global community. So, um, yeah, I think... It's, it's a bamboozling thought and, 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 a, and a fun confusion. I think it's a healthy confusion to have. It is a healthy confusion to have, but also it, it's hard to, I suppose, to articulate to the, the sort of every individual, right? We're all humans. We're all sort of going about our everyday lives and you're trying to articulate how important fungi is and how, uh, how entwined it is with, in our lives. How do you articulate to the average individual who goes, well, I don't really care. I just want to you know, focus on my own self and actually get people interested and understand that how important everything is. Mm. Well, I think there are lots of ways to do it. Um, ultimately, it's storytelling. Yeah. Um, as I think much, so much of our lives are, whatever we do. Um, and, and this is what the Entangled Life, the book has been. You know, it's, a bit, it's a big exercise in trying to work out how can I talk about subjects, which uh, I have been a, a sort of nerdy pursuer of for much of my life, to people who I might not want to read a book about science or, or the living world. Um, let alone fungi, uh, mm. an unglamorous, gross, and disease-causing agent. That <laughs> yes, I know. Anyway, I know that's <laughs> the, the, that's the thing, right? Like we, we we're told is sort of 
you know, when we're children, we don't, we don't, we reject any sort of fungi. We we don't want anything to do with it. It is a sort of disgusting kind of thing. Mm. And and what I find so fascinating, I know Alex, you find this more fascinating, is um, how you know I, I I saw this thing the other day, and you can sort of explain it to me that um, that perhaps you know when we were you know talk about evolution, right? And you know the fact that we were primates back in the day, and supposedly you were saying this the other day that supposedly what happened was is the way we gained intelligence was by eating fungi, and that's how we developed. Is that a, is it's that the, true? The Stone Day, Terence McKenna. Yeah, theory, is it? this yeah. true, or well, and you can explain this better than I explained it? <laughs> so it's a hypothesis, um, it, uh, a speculation um, advanced by Terence McKenna, uh, who is a who is a wonderful thinker and um, philosopher and ethnobotanist and uh, user of psychedelics. And um, he suggested that perhaps it was that humans acquired their large brains and intelligences uh, and cultures and, and religions and uh, philosophies and languages through the consumption of psychedelic mushrooms, which, which expanded the, the possibilities of our, of our sensing and knowing. And, um, and so there are lots of different versions of the Stone Day hypothesis. And um, so, I mean, it seems... It, it's beyond dispute that psychedelics have shaped human cultures for an mm. unknowably long time. In almost all parts of the world, traditional societies use uh, plants or fungi that alter their minds, send them into different states of connection and, and, um, and, and perception. And, um, and these are enfolded within spiritual um, doctrines and venerated in, in all sorts of ways, are deeply embedded in human history. So... That seems um, beyond doubt. The question is, how much influence did they play in the very earliest days of humans becoming humans? And one of the things that Terence suggested was that the eating of mushrooms helped our brains grow large. And it's hard to know either way. You know, there's, uh, my sense is that there, there, there must have been lots of factors at play. And it's possible that psychedelics were one of those. And there's certainly something to explain. Uh, we have very large brains relative to our primate cousins. And between 3 million years ago and about 200,000 years ago, when when recognizable humans are thought to have emerged, more or less. Um, our brains grew to four times the size than they had grown in the previous 60 million years mm. of evolution. And so everyone, this, is, you know, this is in the fossil record. No, no one denies this. It's called the brain boom. So it's like a rapid leap, a huge leap. Yeah, and so, so the question is why? So mm. yeah, why, why? That can't be down to taking... Since Jamie that. found out about this theory, he's been cramming mushrooms and he's, <laughs> yeah, he wants yeah. to get a little bit more intelligence. <laughs> but, uh, but I just can't, I just can't fathom the fact that there, there's, this, there's this giant leap. Mm. And surely it can't be down to the fact that... So many people would agree with you and, and say that Terence was, um, was mistaken. Um, there certainly seem to be other factors at play. For example, cooking, domestication of fire, um, being able to cook food meant that we could spend a lot less time um, finding food because every bit of food that you eat would be more digestible. And mm -hmm. um, it could power our brains, which are incredibly energy-hungry organs. Now, your brain makes up 2% of your body mass, but it uh, requires 20% of your energy at rest. So to power these enormous organs, mm. um, we would have had to um, had all sorts of new ways of accessing nutrition. So it seems that the fire thing is a big, a big, has a big role to play, but there are other things too, like um, being bipedal, having hands that are free to use tools and to gain dexterity, having vocal cords that allow certain types of sound making, which uh, underpin language. So I think all of these things have to be in play. And it's possible that, um, it seems most likely to me that psychedelics would have come in and um, turbocharged our cognitive evolution right. um, without necessarily um, causing our brains to increase. But of course, these things don't work 
in isolation. It's not we have culture and then nature separated by some unbreachable divide. And you can imagine a situation where a, um, an early human took psychedelics and had the idea of domesticating fire uh, and then start cooking and then yeah. outswells the brain. But I mean, that's a very trivial way of putting it, but as an illustration of the way that these things are all bound up together. But certainly I think it's important to recognize the role of psychedelics in our deep past. As, as like a timeline, where has, has the brain size stopped growing or is it continuing to... Because I wonder whether it's like an exponential thing, like sort of that little early spark then kind of it just started to spiral and that's why it expanded so so quickly maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the latest stats are. Um, I certainly feel like the more I uh, sit in front of a computer and have a smartphone that, that my brain would be maybe shrinking in size because <laughs> I'm outsourcing so much yeah. um, activity to, to, to machines. But... Um, yeah, I'm not sure of the latest. But okay, but as a um, as a biologist and as a you know a person who is engulfed the whole life in science, then what are your what are your thoughts around? This is a deep one. I promise you, I haven't taken any shrooms when I was there. So, but, but what are your thoughts then around death and religion and all those different things? How do you view that? What is your point of view on all those things? Well, that's a very big question. I know that is a huge question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you've got five minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> But it is, but it's hard, right? Because um, I suppose, you, you know, it, it's quite hard to, when you, when you have answers, it's quite hard to quantify anything else. Does, does that make sense? Well, I mean, I'd say I have more questions than answers yeah. in general. Um, and then the more answers I try to answer, the more questions I end up with, mm. saddled with. Mm. Um, um, and I think these questions about you know, the divine and um, death and life, these big questions about the nature of reality, really, and the nature of our consciousness, um, that these questions, many of them are unanswerable, which is what pulls people into these questions, which is why they're still questions, you know, millions of or hundreds of thousands of years. I'm sure people have been asking these, wondering about these questions for as long as people have been people. Mm. Um, and I don't suspect that we're going to have neat answers for them anytime soon, which, which means that it's the mystery. It's the way that we come close to the mystery and the mysteries, these things which are, are hidden from our view, which are um, confusing, fascinating, um, and which draw us towards them. Um, and so, so yeah, so, so but, I think but, it's the mysteries. That yeah, but it's, but it's also like, but, but then we're, as humans, we're on this constant search and this constant desire to understand and realize and, and gain knowledge. And, and actually, perhaps there is, um, there is something blissful about being innocent. Right. And I've mentioned this before, but, you know, Blake wrote two poems about innocence and experience and how experience breaks innocence. And actually what happens with knowledge is that we become almost too experienced. And that also is a problem. Mm. And actually naivety is a blissful thing to be. Peter Pan said it actually perfectly well. The reason why he didn't want to grow old is because he'd become experienced and he didn't want to, f you know, follow the life of Captain Hook and things like this, these tyrants. Mm. So why do we have a desire to learn and to gain knowledge and to to push boundaries when actually the sort of naivety innocent space is almost more attractive as we get older it's a very good question isn't it and there are so many um situations where and cultures and, and, and traditions and wisdom traditions in which we're encouraged to find our innocence again and that's yes exactly I mean, so this idea of beginner's mind um and becoming being playful and that's how we learn to be mm. playful and and to um explore new things and to um let ourselves be a child again rediscover that child there's a theologian who I, who I admire very much called David Bentley Hart, and he has a great line uh, about wisdom and experience. And he said that wisdom is the rediscovery of innocence on the far side of experience. Right. And for me, that really builds yeah. the bridge between those concepts in a way that I 
um, that know that nourishes my my thinking. Right, so that's so basically what you're saying is that we're, you're trying to regain the innocence, but that's so true. It, I'm just repeating what theologian said, but it's true. You're gaining innocence, but on the further side, mm-hmm. and that's and that's which is actually I think of as wisdom in some sense. That is exactly what it is. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With all these kind of um, products that you do and all the kind of things that you delve into, where, where, where does it, where you, because you must a lot of the time hit like a dead end. Or hit positions where you go, okay, that hasn't worked. When it, it just doesn't stop, there's never end to it, and so you never, as yet, you end up with more questions than answers. Does, so actually, do, yeah, do you does, does that I mean? ever make you think? I, I, maybe I should stop my work now, yes. just because just because I'm becoming less innocent. Yeah, <laughs> I'm covering and, and also and also, I'm ending up with more questions than answers. So actually, I remember I did this. Um, I did a police show once where I had to become a special in, in police force, understand what it was like to be. A, a, a volunteer, 25,000 people in the UK do it every single year. It's an incredible thing. And what I realized about the police force is there's a constant game. The, the criminals are always on the run and the police officers are always trying to catch them. doesn't matter how far they go, the, the war on drugs, whatever it is, it never ends. But with your research, you almost go throughout life on the constant search, which is fulfilling, but also fulfills you sometimes with um, an annoyance, maybe? Well, there's frustration. You know. Frustration, yeah. But 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 ultimately, um, I try to I try to be suspicious of dogmatic certainty. And if I find myself becoming too certain about something, then I think, okay, this may be a moment to um, to sit up and to look at that certainty and ask if it's really telling the truth. And um, and so 
really the point of, I mean, why, I, why am I a biologist? Why, why I inquire into the living world is, is not necessarily to come up with a set of um, unassailable facts um, in, a, in a frame that we can't break open and, and, and change later or revise, but rather to um, find ways to bring us into closer contact with the world around mm. us and to the organisms that we share the life, our, our lives with. And fungi are a really good example of that because they live most of their lives hidden from our view. Um, it's so easy to forget about these organisms because we can't readily see them. So part of the interest that in fungi that we're seeing now, this, this wave of interest in them, is because we have more access to the fungal world, because we have technologies that grant us access to the fungal world, mm. which bring us into new contact and relation with these organisms surrounding us and can change the way that we then think of ourselves. So microbiomes are a good example. You know, we have microbes all over us, in us, on us. Um, is it, is it we're more bacteria than, yeah. than actual like bodily flesh almost? Yeah, exactly. What, what percentage are we? Well, the, the axon numbers are uncertain, but it's clear that we have we carry around more microbes than our own cells. But of course, that raises the question of what is yeah. our own? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, God. <laughs> what is what is our own then? Exactly. But because surely, surely, so surely our microbes, but but our own make up ourselves. That's our that's our DNA, right? Yeah, but those cells wouldn't be able to do what they do and form this body that we think of as you, this totality that we think of as you, unless they were partnered with these other these bacteria and fungi doing all these important things for us. It always makes me think of Star Wars and uh, what's it called? And their mitochondria or something? <laughs> no, is it mitochondria? I can't remember what it's called in Star Wars, but it's basically this living energy force that's kind of lives throughout everything mm. basically okay so so why and the reason why we we're getting more access to fungi and things like that is because you said technology and stuff like that but why have we had that separation for so long is that because um you know we we seem to distance ourselves now from holistic health and uh you know natural medicine and natural things and actually and we're going to the corporates you know to feed us with I don't know, uh, medication or penicillin, or, I don't know, whatever, whatever it may be, you know. And we have this incredible separate. Is that just for financial gain? Well, this is a very big question. I know, sorry, I keep, <laughs> I keep asking these huge questions. Um, we have to go back a little bit further. Okay, part. you go back. Yeah, yeah, go. So, so you might trace this back to a time um, where, where the world was divided, at least by the, by the practitioners of what we would now think of as modern science, say Galileo, uh, dividing the world into what he called primary quantities, the things that were measurable, like mass, length, um, uh, and so forth, and secondary qualities, which were things like colour or taste, um, i.e. our perceptions, the things we feel, feelings and perceptions, mm. the things which are, um, that we add supposedly to the primary quantities out there. Um, and the idea was that science, the scientists could study, they weren't called the scientists then, but nonetheless what we would now think of as scientists, could study what was measurable. So we'll bracket off mind, feeling, all those other things, uh, mysterious, unmeasurable things, because the scientists can't do that because the sciences proceed by measurement. Right. And we'll deal with all these measurable things. And that's all perfectly reasonable, provided we remember that there's this whole other part that we've bracketed off uh, and that we've admitted that we can't really handle with these tools over here. But quite fast, the, um, the sciences... So swelled into an entire version, entire metaphysics and narrative of reality, a version of the history of, of the, the nature of reality. And, um, and this mind-feeling section sort of kept hovering around on the fringes. And, and, and so we have this bifurcation that we could then trace into the division between the arts and the sciences, or the humanities and the sciences. Um, and, uh, and all of these, these divisions that we see today. But it also divided us from the 
um, it divided us with our feelings and our perceptions from the world that we were trying to measure. Uh, and so it sets up all sorts of confusing boundaries that we stumble over, uh, mistaking mm. them for natural features of our minds. And I think we really suffer from this in all sorts of ways. And it ekes its way into all the structures and systems that we inhabit. Uh, and it's actually responsible for a lot of damage and harm and part of yes. uh, part mm. of coming to a, a state of new becoming uh, as a species now at this time of unprecedented challenges to find way, ways to um, bring those divisions uh, into unity again. But how do we do that? Well, that's a, another big question. <laughs> so you, I, yeah, I, you, I hope you're just giving me all the answers. Give me the answers you, now. You write best-selling books. They yeah, start yeah, to yeah, uh... okay, but, but okay, fine. How do we how do we try and challenge that, and how do, and 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 in some ways try and encourage that? Mm, well, it's, I, I can't pretend to know the answer to that question, but um, I think ways of finding ourselves, finding new relationships with the organisms. And that we live in and around. And that's why the fungal and microbial worlds for me are so fascinating because I really do think they help us to uh, embark to uh, no, on a bridging of these distances um, somewhat because we realize that we are ecologies, mm. um, living within ecologies, living within ecologies. Oh, God, that inception. Small bacteria living inside them. Fungi have bacteria living inside them. <laughs> virus, bacteria have viruses <laughs> living inside them. It goes all the way down. And so once we see ourselves like that, certainly when I see myself like that and try to feel myself like that, then my sense of self softens and sort of shades off into otherness gradually and all mm. sorts of other things start to happen. And so, so that's just one way that I've found helpful to push on uh, this distinction. I think there are many others. But that also makes me, that troubles me. Okay. <laughs> it should do. Okay, it does, it really troubles me. It really troubles me because of this, right? Because, okay, um, let's take um, the idea that we're living in a simulation. Right in that sort of sense, and and I, I heard that um, Elon Musk of all people explained it in quite a good way. He says when you see an ant farm, like or you see an ant farm going, you know, in a tank, the ants don't know that they're living in this farm that we've created for them. They're just going about their business and their everyday thing because they're living in an ecosystem within an ecosystem within an ecosystem. So actually, what we're talking about with a simulation is perhaps we're just living in an ecosystem within an ecosystem within an ecosystem within an ecosystem. So, so. Do we even exist? Well, we do exist, but in, in what ways do we exist and how we <laughs> you, know we exist? You're having an existential oh crisis God, having on freak the podcast. Out. <laughs> so get, get him the smelling salts. He's, he's a freak out right now. <laughs> well, that's a really good question. I mean, one way to think about it that I find helpful is to think of ourselves as bundles of relationships, um, which is, you know, we, 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 are, um, we are collectives mm. and we are singular, a different scale. So th th what it, if you think about individuality, not as some natural fact, but a category that depends on your point of view. And if you were to think about your digestive system, then you see, oh, well, clearly Jamie is a multitude here. You know, um, if I'm looking at you now, then I see you as a singular being. If we zoom out and we see all of us together in this city, um, we might think of it more as a kind of a hive or a swarm of humans um, and a different kind of entity, individual entity. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it depends on scale, but relationships, basically bundles of relationships. But just, uh, can you break that down into a simpler form when you mean relationships? Because what we're sort of suggesting here is that we're a hive, as you said, we're a hive within a hive, within a hive, within a hive. But we know because relationships between what, in each other? Each other and also other members of the living world. So whether it be the microbes um, that live in and on us or the um, plants that we eat or the fungi that allow the plants that we eat to live. Um, and feed them or the bacteria that allow the fungi that feed the plants to, you know, that, that kind of cascade um, of, of relationality that and really the living world is relation. All organisms are relationship and can only exist in relationship. And so, um, and yeah, and that relationship is not just with, of course, 
other living organisms, but also with uh, physical entities. So when we breathe, we're in constant dynamic exchange with the gases, the, the gaseous fluids around us. And that um, is a whole other kind of relationship uh, with an elemental force. Okay, as a race, we believe we're, we're top of the food chain. Well, it, some, some, yeah, some of us do. I, some, okay, so, okay, well, I suppose the, the naive versions of us, mm. I, me, I, you know, I do, I think we are, but perhaps, but we're not potentially. Well, I think it's, um, I think it's a kind of uh, species narcissism that we are yes. specialized into in, 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 in a whole kind of what we might think of as modern scientific societies. There are many traditional knowledge systems around the world in which is very well established that humans are not uh, on the top of some heap in some big old vertical hierarchy. Mm. Um, but in um, certainly the way I was brought up in this country and being educated in the way that I was, uh, it was implied that humans were uh, like that. And I think yes. there's all sorts of problems. And that thing about intelligence that you ask, you know, we, we, there's, a, there's a big idea we inherit from, uh, of, you know, from hundreds of years from Greeks, really, about um, the ancient Greeks, about humans being at the top of an intelligence ranking, followed by animals that look like us, followed by uh, other animals and then plants and then minerals and um, in a big old lead table. And, yeah. um, and it's, it's explicit about human um, intellectual supremacy. Which, well, I guess it's kind of quite like a primal way of looking at things, isn't it? I think now more so if we can look at things as like we're all part of the same ecosystem, like a symbiosis almost, mm. and that will hopefully solve some of our... Yeah, but why is it, why is a spe why is it, as a species, we're the only species that are trying to destroy each other and the world? Why, why do we do that when everything else doesn't? Everything else wants to breathe and grow and... I think and the, animal, the animal kingdom does kind of destroy not, each other a bit. Well, it's it, 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 sort of, but not in the same... You don't, you don't find, you, you wouldn't find other... Um, you know, uh, 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 maybe am I being dumb here? No, but you wouldn't find. Uh, there's the, there's the, the the survival of the fittest, which I think is something that's been kind of deeper instilled in us in Western society. There was I can't remember where I read it recently. It, was, it might have been in your book, but survival of the of the friendliest. Is that? In I your don't book? think it was in the that, book. That's not in your no, book. Like, um, what do you mean by survival of the friendliest? Well, so they they did. Uh, they were looking back at sort of um, ancient. No, humans um and i think there was a period of, of history where there were 11 or nine different types of, of humans um you had the neanderthals and i can't list any of them um <laughs> you were about, yeah, about to give it a go i was going to try and then when i literally know one so um and and the the study kind of concurred that the, the ones that, that did the best actually kind of helped each other and they you know um rather than tried to kill each other well this is exactly um, right so rather than the survival of the fittest it was the survival of the friendliest they're trying to help each other out well, well this is exactly it right so um the, the point is is that what we, in survival right you're meant to stick together that's what you're meant to do but typically human sort of um nature is to not do that so if you look at even look at books like animal farm and things like that when they you know become humans in a sense they all go against each other you know george orwell's book but um we seem to do that, but in every other species, they seem to work together. We don't, as humans. I think we do quite a lot of working together. Do we? I mean, <laughs> we are sitting in a building that was made by teams, designed by uh, an architectural firm and an engineering firm that were working yeah. teams with a, a wonderful production team around us, uh, with you two working as a team, with me consenting to... Maybe I'm being... With your <laughs> yeah, team. <laughs> yeah, I think... You're right. Maybe I'm being just really dark about things. I don't, I don't know. I do, I do see your point. I mean, there are all sorts of ways that we... Um, we feed poisonous dysfunction uh, in the way that we organize and, 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 and are awful to each other. Um, and that's very true and has been true. I mean, who knows how long it's been true, but you see, basically in the living world, I think there are ways to think about collaboration, which in, can include, um, say, conflict and competition and also cooperation. And if you think about collaboration, there's always some dynamic dance between the two. Mm. And um, I think we 
all new, no, there's quite intuitive. Like if you think about a, a, say a touring band and um, they can be on tour together, they can hate each other's guts or be maybe having all sorts of fights in the tour bus, but they can get on stage and give a captivating performance. So that collaboration that they have um, can be, um, within that collaboration can be all sorts of currents and countercurrents of, of, of conflict and, and cooperation. So um, that I find helpful as a way to think yeah. about the living world in general. We don't have to think of it as all cooperative, essentially cooperative yeah. or essentially competitive. It, it can and, and in fact is both in, in confusing dynamic ways. That's a great point. I, I guess then that's when you start to look at the, the mycelial network a little bit and, and obviously they kind of have a oneness almost. I wonder if we can, as humans, learn from the way that they kind of all cooperate together. Well, there's also a lot of conflict with, I mean, you could, there are a fungi that make a living by um, ferociously devouring other fungi. Um, and um, there are fungi that um, I talk about in the book that ferociously devour in, in, insects. This, this is fascinating. So this, this is the bit I've just got to where um, it's talking about a particular fungi that infects um, a cicada and only decomposes heart, like a tiny bit of its uh, like rear end so that it can still fly. And it's kind of infect, oh my God, that's infect, infected its, its brain and it releases uh, indoor um, amphetamines or something like that to keep this, Wait, keep, keep, keep the insect. I mean, I'll let, I'll let you sort yeah, of you carry on. What, yeah. um, it's fascinating. Really? Well, there are different groups of fungi which have come up with these astonishing ways to manipulate the behavior of insect bodies. But they've all, like many of them have evolved this in separate um, fungal families. So it's, uh, it's a conclusion that many fungi have reached independently suggesting that it's you know, some, some kind of a good idea in evolutionary terms. But the idea is that, that fungi don't have a twitchy muscular body or an ability to walk or bite or fly. So um, they borrow or commandeer, rather, there doesn't seem to be much consent about it, uh, insect bodies, which they then puppet to their advantage. Oh my God, that, pup, that word puppet. Jamie is now going to have a, a big fear of mushrooms. <laughs> that is, that's the worst thing I've ever heard, puppet, okay, but continue. Well, yeah, I mean, overwrite their instincts um, and govern their behaviours in ways that suits the fungus and clearly doesn't suit the insect. So for example, the cicada, it, um, the fungus grows into the cicada and produces chemicals which change the, the behaviour of the cicada and, and cause its back third to disintegrate and to drop off. Um, but the cicada can still fly because the fungus is expertly deconstructing its its body. Um, so its surface, central nervous system remains intact enough for it to fly and indeed for its attempt to copulate becomes hypersexual despite the fact its genitals have long since crumbled away. And, um, and so then it goes around spreading the fungal spores with this particular type of flight, no. which is really the fungus you know, in the cockpit driving the insect. No, I think that you that might. I think wild. you might have been infected in the past. The way, the way you used to fly around with your genitals <laughs> hanging off—that <laughs> is wild. But there are lots of examples of that. You know, as as colourful and confusing, and um, and so, do we want to learn from those fungi about uh, how to organise our lives? I mean, that's the thing. So there are so many ways to be a fungus, and and, and fungi are definitely not all having a nice sweet. They're not having a great time. I mean, I mean, the fungi in, the, in that case, I mean, they're, they're, they're getting their way. Um, yeah. But I'm just, what I mean by this is that it's easy to think about um, these organisms as all just um, happily getting along together. But there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's fierceness there too. The, the, there was the theory, and I can't, I can't remember if it was your own or, or if you were talking about someone else's, but taking it further that, that, you know, when humans digest psilocybin, are we essentially becoming a vessel for the mushroom because it, you know, it changes the way that we perceive the world and we are actually going to, potentially reduce the harm on on the planet 
Um, and so I found that absolutely Wait, fascinating. So we're, 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 we're ingesting the, the fungi that could potentially so, be so um, in, taking over our, our system and potentially pushing us towards what they want. Yeah, essentially. Well, well, yeah, I mean, so that was a, a suggestion that Terence McKenna made, another one of his wonderful um, suggestions. Terence, what is he doing? He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's taking a lot of mushrooms. He's taking a lot of mushrooms. <laughs> Jesus. And, and talking about them very eloquently. Is he really? He's, he's got the most amazing voice. His voice is like really, it's on point. I mean, if, if the gab was ever gifted to someone. <laughs> yes, that's it. You know, um, but so yeah, but this so it was a, it's a, a suggestion, um, and and so it, you know, there's the fungus is not living inside our bodies and puppeting our behaviour as the fungi that do that with insects are. You know, these fungus, these fungi we're eating, you can have the same experience from being injected with chemical psilocybin. Mm. You're not host to a physical living fungus. Um, but there are ways then that our behaviour do change. So these 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 magic mushrooms, which are now grown all over the world, and entering a new story of domestication with humans. Mm. And this has only been happening over the last few decades. And so just in a handful of decades, a handful of tropical species are now being grown in windowsills, bedrooms, warehouses, cupboards, all over the world and in hospitable parts of the world where they wouldn't mm. otherwise be able to make a life because of the way that humans are drawn to them um, and drawn to the experiences that they can provide. So you can think about this level of uh, this new type of domesticated relationship that we're falling into, like with many plants and animals in, in our long history, whether or not you want to think about our psychedelic experiences as somehow um, fulfilling the fungus's plan, we certainly are entering into new relationships with the fungi and, and propagating them all over the world. Um, and they have certainly won in some sense because of their abilities to alter our minds in this way. Um, and so... Yeah, it's it's, an, it's it's a kind of new a new story of domestication is how I think about it. That, that, I wonder if their their objective is to make uh, people think they're a teapot because when you took mushrooms, didn't you? you no, <laughs> I did not think I was a teapot. <laughs> Convince you a teapot I, for I, a week. I can say, man, um, we're going to stop there for part one. I have a story of when I took uh, mushrooms by accident for the first time that I'm going to share with you in part two. And whoa, it was an extremely bizarre experience. You ready for that? Of course. Okay, we'll see everyone in part two. Coming back for that. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.